Welcome to Stories We Don't Tell, a podcast about storytelling. Stories We Don't Tell is a monthly event in Toronto that features candid stories of strength and resilience. I threw out my prayers, they went flying like balloons. The air whipped our hair, we went shooting down the valley. Knuckles gripped upon the handles, shivers rushing down my spine. What's a blind? Always comes at the most frightening. Dad, I think I made a mistake. I don't think I want to be in law school. I was two weeks in. I hated it. I had just spent four years of my life in undergrad studying for tests and writing papers that no one would ever see. I was sick of highlighting textbooks. I was all schooled out and eager to get out into the real world to start making a difference. But law school was always the plan. I thought, if I were a lawyer, people would take my ideas a little more seriously. Sure, it's credentialism. It's not fair, but that's just how things work. I'd play the game, become a lawyer, and get better access to decision makers so I could start to change things. But when I moved out west to start school at the University of Victoria, I found myself wondering, how did I get here? I had a great job doing environmental work with a prestigious organization, and I left. For what? Three more years of highlighting textbooks and writing papers that no one would ever see? It weighed me down. I didn't want to do it. I couldn't do it. I was done with school. I wanted to get out there and start having an impact. So, two weeks after moving to BC to start law school, I phoned home. Dad, I think I made a mistake. I don't think I want to be in law school. Rob, there is no fucking way you're quitting law school. <laughs> it's not how I hoped the conversation would go. Eventually, we landed on this. It made sense for me to stay for at least the first semester to get a better sample period and make a more informed decision. Plus, I was already paid up for the first four months, so why not just stick it out? I'd then come back home for Christmas and we would talk about whether or not to continue. Of course, we both knew that he wasn't even supposed to be around that Christmas. You see, not too long before I left for law school, Dad was diagnosed with a rare and aggressive type of cancer. By aggressive, I mean everyone who gets it dies. The five-year survival rate for people in his condition is actually 0%. In Dad's case, doctors said he wasn't likely to make it to the end of the year. So, that September, when I hopped on a plane from Toronto to Victoria, I thought I was saying my final goodbye. It was a tough semester, but I made it. And, for some reason, Dad did too. That Christmas, he made me an offer. Rob, law school is important. You may not see it right now, but I think one day you will. I tell you what, we both know my prognosis. We both know that I'm not even supposed to be here right now. So how about this? You stay in school for three years and finish the degree, and I'll hang around long enough to witness you do it. I looked at him. I considered it. He lost weight since I left for school. His skin was jaundiced. He wasn't even supposed to be here right now. The survival rate is zero. The offer. Part of me felt coerced, resentful. But part of me, I said yes. We shook hands. The bargain was made. I would finish law school and he would live long enough to witness it. Several months went by. The patients with the same type of cancer in his study group who were being treated by an experimental medication had all died. 
dad was the only one alive. Doctors were puzzled. Another test group varied the treatment. Several months later, all dead but one, dad. This is how three years of law school went. He had his ups and downs with his health, but he had a promise to keep. We had a lot of phone conversations during that period. Dad, it's so beautiful out here. I just walked along the shoreline to get to school and saw two massive eagles. Dad, I've been hanging out with this really cool girl. Last night we made a blanket fort and read stories to each other. <laughs> I think it's getting serious. I'd also call him when I was down and needed support. Sometimes, with the three-hour time difference, I'd ask him if he could call me early in the morning to wake me up. He would, and I'd get a nice, good morning, Rob, to start my day. While I was definitely sick of highlighting textbooks, definitely still wanted to quit, hearing his voice reminded me that I had a promise to keep. During the last few weeks of my final semester of school, Dad's voice started to sound different, weaker. I remember calling my mom to get her perspective. She happens to be a physician who works with cancer patients. She confirmed that it would be his last down. He didn't have much longer. I had completed all my exams. All my courses were done. I just had to hand in one final assignment, and I would complete the requirements of the degree. I had a really hard time finishing that assignment. Completing it would mean that I would fulfill my end of the bargain. Dad would be free to let go. For the first time in seven years of school, I actually asked my prof for an extension. Eventually, though, I did finish it. I phoned home. Dad, I just handed in my last assignment. I finished law school. I didn't have an articling job lined up. In fact, I didn't have any work lined up at all. I just wanted to spend a bit of time with him. I just wanted to come home. My dad loved newspapers. It was his thing. My routine that summer in Toronto was the same every morning. I would wake up early, put on a t-shirt and shorts, and load my pockets with quarters. I would quietly walk by my dad's room, see that he was still asleep, and leave home to walk to the corner of York Mills and Leslie. There, I would reach into my pockets and plug my quarters into four newspaper boxes. The Toronto Sun, the Toronto Star, the Globe and Mail, and the National Post. When I got back home, I'd head to my dad's room, sit on his bed, and wait for him to get up so we could spend the day reading the news together. It was how we spent that last month. Eventually, I ended up finding work for an environmental NGO. It helped me get back on my feet. Later, I decided to article and practice law. Two years ago, I launched a small nonprofit that's doing some really unique climate change advocacy. It's getting legislative traction in several communities across North America and actually getting media attention around the world. Every now and again, I still feel the urge to call him. Dad, check it out. I'm in the Toronto Star. <laughs> Dad, the project is in the Sun, the Globe, the Post. Dad, it's getting passed into law. Dad, I've been feeling tired lately. Can you call me in the morning to help me get out of bed again? Last year, I wrote a 40-page legal report for municipal staff to help advance my climate change project. A law prof in Australia came across it and contacted me to do an interview over Skype. What? You actually read it? You mean all 40 pages? People are reading what I wrote. The project is now featured in his textbook. It's also in a textbook in France, a textbook in Canada, a design publication in Sweden. It's spreading. 
Last year, I found myself in BC giving a lecture to a packed room in the very same law school that I had once wanted to quit. It felt surreal. None of this would be happening if I didn't have the legal background to move this project forward. None of this would be happening if I wasn't able to have conversations with politicians that begin, hi, I'm a lawyer that's running this climate change organization. It buys cred. Sometimes I want to call him up and say, Dad, you were right. Thanks. All right, so we just heard a story from Rob Shorkey, and now Rob is here with me. Hello, Rob. Hello, Brianne. This is great. I like how much eye contact you get when you record with people. This is lovely. Yeah, it's beautiful. So you, we just heard a story that you told, that story's going to tell, mm-hmm. last summer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that you had had this in mind for longer than just a single month, just how long the workshop process lasts, mm-hmm. as a story that you wanted to share So do you want to talk a little bit about how it kind of took shape in your brain? Obviously, it was a part of your own life, so that helps. Mm -hmm. So I remember when you guys started this event, I really enjoyed going to them and so on. And I thought, oh, you know, one day I would like to tell a story. I don't know what it'll be. Uh, And you had actually shared a story about your father. And there were little details uh, in that story that sort of maybe resonated and and made me think of my own father. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, you know what, maybe I'll tell a story about my father and about sort of how we spent our, our, you know, last month or two together. And it ended up being through the writing process that I ended up rolling it back even further to sort of the story of how I actually wanted to quit law school. And mm-hmm. this was then the thing that kept me from quitting. So, um, it, yeah, the story was originally going to have a different emphasis, sort of a different starting point. But, um, but through the writing process, then this is, you know, the version that came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So the timeline kind of evolved. And it, it's, I mean, it, it's interesting because, of course, like I just said, it's your real life, but it, it yeah. comes together in a really kind of neat package, which you don't always get with stories from your real life. And I know that's like a really clinical way to talk mm. about something like grief and loss. But yeah. But well, did you find it helpful to be able to put it in a neat little package like that? Well, I kind of did. And there was, I think, something circular about it too, where it started with me. Um, you know, talking about uh, the reasons that I wanted to go for law school ages ago, you know, when I was still a kid, I've got two lawyers in my family, two uncles that are both practicing law. And I had this early sense that, oh, there's something about that profession where these people get taken seriously when they, when they speak. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a form of, I think I mentioned this in the story, it's a form of credentialism and so on. And it's a shame that we live in a world where, you know, an idea can't be taken on its own merit and it, it, it kind of depends partly on the person that's suggesting it, right? Mm-hmm. But so in any event, I got it on, uh, got it in my head many, many years ago that, ah, well, maybe if if there are some things, and as a kid, I was, you know, always interested in environmental issues and had different ideas, things I'd like to advocate for. And I thought, um, m- maybe this is a way that I can be taken seriously and so on. But of course, when I found myself in law school, you know, I was, I was exhausted. I was done with highlighting textbooks. Like I just spent four years in a library highlighting textbooks and I was wanting to go out in the real world and have an impact. 
And then I thought, oh my God, I'm going to be highlighting textbooks again for three years. So, uh, yeah, so it was interesting then because I guess in in that conversation that I had with my father, that would have been first year, would have been within the first two weeks of law school, my first year, um, that that ended up sort of, you know, putting in in place this this series of things, you know, and then Christmas, that promise that we made to each other. Um, next thing you know, like three years later, I kind of finished it. And there was this whole, even now, sort of the work that I'm doing now, where, and this is maybe a bit of an update since that story I told, like uh, actual legislation, new to the world legislation is being passed. And this was something that was once just sort of an idea doodle on my desk. And none of that would be happening if it weren't, quite frankly, for my background that, you know, Mm -hmm. means I'm able to speak to it, do the legal research behind it and so on. So, and it was interesting. So yeah, so there was this kind of uh, where it wrapped up nicely this way, but it was kind of, I think, even the writing of it a little cathartic, mm-hmm. and yeah, brought up brought up old feelings, you know, and um, and I was really grateful. I think at the end of it, and I had practiced it. I didn't want to practice it too many times because sometimes then, if you do it, you know, too many times, then it loses its emotion. Mm-hmm. But so I said, well, I'll just read it a few times just so I you know, like, you know, the wording of different phrases and so on. And, and, but I want to kind of read it almost for the first time at the stories we don't tell event. And, and I did, and I suppose you could probably tell in my voice, there were a few moments where I kind of had to pause and really collect myself because I was a little emotional. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was really nice in that way to actually kind of to say thank you. I'm Mm -hmm. not sure I ever actually did, you know? (laughs) Yeah. As you've been just living. Yeah. 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 Yeah, no, I think that emotion really comes through. And what's interesting, interesting, I've got some great clinical words today. Mm. Something that people who are listening wouldn't know is mm-hmm. that actually this was the first time. So at the beginning of every show, mm-hmm. um, I give a little spiel. And one of the things that I say is that these stories deal with some tough topics. So mm. if you need to take some space for yourself, then like feel free, you won't be disturbing anybody. So go to the other room, go wherever you need to go. Mm-hmm. Nobody will mind that you have to kind of like fight your way out of the mm-hmm. scrum that is the audience. And this was the first time that somebody actually took me up on that. Uh, yeah, I noticed that. I do recall that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it had a really big kind of emotional impact in the room itself. Yeah. Which I think it's it's one of those things where it's, it's deeply personal and it's also very relatable because yes. anybody who's lost a parent or mm-hmm. anybody who has has seen somebody through cancer Mm -hmm. like we're all really we're all really impacted by this and Mm -hmm. we don't talk about it that much you know and that's what i really like about this event um stories we don't tell stories we typically don't tell right yeah and i feel like for me it's this monthly thing that i attend and once participated in and hopefully one day we'll participate in it again if you have any other life experiences (laughs) to draw on yeah and i think i do actually do have some ideas kind of percolating (laughs) but um but yeah it's an interesting break from you know, this, this veneer that, you know, day to day life and so on. And now and again, you do hear these stories that are are really heartfelt and personal and maybe challenging, maybe something that, that a person went through and, and you're able to, yeah, just for a brief period, have an insight into, into an interesting period in a person's life. Be like, oh, it's, it's all, it's great. And it's also this. Yeah. And it's also, oh my goodness, I recognize that. And and maybe I'm more human now, and maybe I'm more normal and, and everything is okay kind of a thing, right? Like here's mm-hmm. someone else. This is actually the something. baseline of our life experiences. Yeah. It's not whatever social media. Yeah. 
Um, so, mm-hmm. so, so I said this to you before we got started, but you're talking about the, the contrast between that and the veneer of everyday life. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because you do a lot of speaking actually mm-hmm. in a mm-hmm. perhaps less emotional manner, not to say that your speeches aren't heartfelt, yeah, but in your position right now, you do a lot of speaking to kind of professional organizations mm-hmm. or governments or legal people. Mm-hmm. I really know. And yeah. environmentalists, I know who you speak well, to. Well, it's, um, so I give, so the advocacy that I do is at the municipal level. So I speak to, to councils. Mm-hmm. So elected politicians also speak, I'll address city staff as well. Um, in my former work, I found myself in court maybe once or twice a week addressing a judge. Wow. And yeah, and it's interesting because so I think in the talks that I give where it's mostly I'm selling an idea, I'm selling legislation and I'm trying to convince, you know, the audience that it's compelling and I'll dive into the psychology, the economic theory, the law behind it so that hopefully at the end of the day, they reach the conclusion that, oh, this is an interesting proposal and we think it'll help you know, accelerate a transition away from fossil fuels, and maybe we should adopt this here, right? Mm-hmm. And it is it is a different sort of a, and after you you say the same thing over and over so many times, it is kind of mechanical. Yeah, like, do you feel comfortable speaking in front of crowds, would you say? Totally, yeah, totally. And part of that, about it. no, exactly. And part of that is from this background where uh, for a period I would just be in court, at, you know, every week for, for maybe twice a week. And I do remember actually the first time I was in court, I was actually quite nervous. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the second time a little bit less nervous and the third time a little bit less nervous. And then eventually I began to enjoy, you know, being in court and I loved yeah. the cro- theater of it all. Right? It's, Did you feel like you were becoming a thespian? <laughs> Maybe just an actor. <laughs> Good Paul. Yeah. Paul's I think that's done. a, is that called a callback? But that was even off. Yeah. We weren't a, even recording. It's a callback too. It's a private to, callback. Yeah. Okay. I think it's important on public. Yeah. Things to include private jokes. Yeah. Calling it a joke is generous. Well, it is generous. true it's for Im- most of my jokes, yeah. as we discussed in a previous episode of this podcast. Um, um, so you felt nervous the first time in court, perhaps? Yeah. So how did you find, now that you're really comfortable speaking mm-hmm, in front mm-hmm. of audiences, when you have something that's rehearsed and you mm-hmm, know what you're selling, mm-hmm. did you feel that confidence translated, or was the new subject matter enough to kind of... Yeah, and so this was different. I was actually... In the lead up to it, I kind of actually, I was even surprised. I'm like, what? Why am I nervous? Like, this doesn't make sense. You know, this isn't normal. And so it was, it was definitely the subject matter. Mm -hmm. Um, I suspect if I had, say, read it out loud a few times at home and practiced it and so on, got it to the point where maybe the delivery was a bit more mechanical. So I probably wouldn't be as anxious when I was telling the story. But then, of course, it would be less vulnerable. Yeah, it really would. It it would lose its, you know. So, um, yeah. So I do remember being, but I mean, it's okay, right? Yeah, we're all human, and that's allowed, you know, to have feelings, right? I guess so. Um, Thank you. (laughs) For you, sure. Um, For everyone. (laughs) Um, But but yeah. So but I do remember, and it's interesting too because. I think part of the intimacy of the event where we were in, in someone's, uh, I don't even know what's a living room, I suppose it was. Yeah. Um, and it's a very, uh, it's a comfortable kind of a crowd, right? Mm -hmm, Definitely. Yeah. And we have the best crowd. I think so. They know what they're getting themselves into. Yeah. Um, so, so I felt fine. I was a bit nervous, but I felt fine. And I think there were a few moments where, 
It's funny, in the telling of the story, I do even remember, um, especially towards the end, where I described, so I had this morning routine for, for you know, a period of a little over a month where um, I, would, I would wake up, you know, my dad loved reading the newspapers, all four of them, you know, they were available at the corner of York Mills and Leslie in these mm-hmm. boxes. And I remember, you know, loading up uh, my my shorts, these terrible, ugly cargo shorts, but they've got lots of pockets for quarters, right? It's mm-hmm. the only thing they have going for them. Yeah. Functional, Functional design, not aesthetically pleasing. Can I briefly interrupt you Please to tell do. you that somebody that I know recently turned cargo pants into shorts and uh-huh. so he turned them into cutoffs but the, the pockets were like unevenly distributed so on one of the legs he just cut through the pocket so it's there and ugly oh, no. and also not and practical not functional because there's a big hole in it yeah can he sew the thing i don't know so, that's a good suggestion yeah please convey that to well him. they're also camo oh oh i don't i don't know you know what don't don't help him <laughs> So anyway, sorry to interrupt. I yeah. just wanted to comment. Um, so so I do remember, actually, when I was telling the story, I was actually, visu- like I was picturing, I was visualizing that, and I can see it right now, you know, the place where, where we grew up, um, sort of turning the corner and seeing his room. And I think that's toward the end when I kind of choked up a little and I had to pause for a couple of seconds because... It took you back. Yeah, it really did. And um, yeah... It's, I think, I think there's tremendous value in storytelling. One, obviously, for the people that are listening, you know, mm-hmm. the whole what we were relating to before the, how things might resonate and so on. But, but even for the storyteller, both in the crafting of the piece, the writing of it, and maybe going through a couple of different drafts, and then the actual telling of it. Um, like, I, I got something out of that. I think at the end when when i actually thanked him mm-hmm. i was actually thanking him yeah like that wasn't a, like a story it wasn't performance it was yeah and um yeah and i remember feeling really good about it and even good about it since you yeah. know um yeah that's very nice mm-hmm. have you done much personal writing previously you kind of say the whole process so from start to finish is that or was that whole piece kind of new to you Uh, it was kind of new i don't think i do too much personal writing though i think since then i maybe written one or two pieces kind of like on a a medium.com this like Mm -hmm, blog um which is interesting and i've been encouraged to so with the advocacy that i'm doing sort of on climate change there's there's almost two sides to it. One, the idea, but then two, there's always an interesting backstory to how, how I even got on this trajectory. Mm-hmm. And so I've had people encourage me more and more to tell that side of the story. So in this media package that we're putting together uh, that we're going to pump out to to politicians, to different media outlets and so on, um, maybe a 45-minute lecture on the idea, but we're going to complement it with this, hey, and are you curious to learn more about about the personal story behind the thing. And here's maybe a 10 minute video to complement that, right? So uh, there is there is value to sharing that, that personal stuff as well, because I think at the end of the day, even if you are advocating for something really specific, um, people can sometimes through your story connect to that thing you're advocating mm-hmm. for, right? So yeah. you're almost the personal vehicle that that they're okay and then they connect to the idea through you right so it's a pretty powerful 
you're yeah, looking for other thing. applications of storytelling now yeah, that you know about it. Exactly. That's what you're saying. Basically, I stumbled upon this thing. <laughs> and now, like a scientist, I'm like, oh, how else can we, you know, yeah, tell us about that? This? Yeah. Can you deploy it? Exactly. In the world at large. Yeah. So, one, YouTube. That's mm. where we're going to upload this stuff. Um, and yeah, this actually it was, it was interesting. So, t- when it would have been December 31st, 2015, so a few weeks ago. I remember just reflecting on the previous year and thinking about the coming year. And I was in this interesting space where uh, I just started, I think I had read someone's post on Medium. I'm like, what is this thing called Medium? So I, I then you know, realized, oh, it's super easy. You don't even have to set up an account. You can just start writing kind of a thing, right? Yeah, it just uses Twitter. Yeah, right? And. Um, so I just wrote something that was just kind of, you know, going through my mind at the time. And then I just posted it and shared it. And it's funny. I got a lot of people that put some pretty supportive comments. and like, oh, cool. Thanks for sharing kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that was more kind of a, a personal. Uh, and, and there is something about, you know, as the year turns, you do start to think a bit more about the passage of time and maybe your own limited time that you have here and, and how you want to direct that and so on. People do. Yeah. And so it's funny. It's so, you know, a, maybe a death in the family can do that. Maybe birthdays, you know, you're aging, that kind of a thing. I'm aging. You specifically. <laughs> okay. I've, I've noticed it. I know the, the listeners can't, you know, see, but I'm letting you know now that Brianne looks old. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I <laughs> did kidding. just have a birthday. So <laughs> happy belated. Thank it you. shows. Thank you. Um, yeah, you know, these, these little moments of yeah. birthday, of, you know, the passage Certainly. of, and, um, yeah, so it's, it's funny then how, and I think they're useful reminders, actually. I think it's, you know, you don't want to live in that space because then that, that might be depressing. Well, and it also takes over. Yes. Like you, you won't have new experiences if all you're doing is reflecting on the experiences that you've had yeah. up until you started reflecting. Yes. Um, it's true. But I think if you can, as long as there's a degree of mindfulness and, and I think through that, there's like an appreciation, right? Like, okay, this is limited and, yeah, you know, let's, what do I value? Maybe I value time with friends. Maybe I, you know, Paul and I, we're going to go swimming soon, I think. Right, Paul? That's so nice. <laughs> I heard that you guys are going to raise a child together as well. Yeah, an imaginary child. Um, if we do a portmanteau of our last names, yes, you could land on shore. Yes, that's true. You could also land on dorky. I think dorky is the winner here. <laughs> maybe we shouldn't raise a child together. Because it would be baby dorky? Baby dorky. Or maybe we should now that I think about it. Yeah, no, you definitely should. Paul, baby dorky? Okay. I'm not here. Paul's on board. <laughs> Paul's on board. Okay. Okay. Well, I hope that maybe your next story can be about Baby Dorky. Yeah. That's the one that I've actually been thinking about writing. Okay. So <laughs> next time we have you on. Yes. That will be why. It will be to discuss this important child. Yes. That you're going to bring into the world. The birth of a baby does make you think of, oh my goodness, right? And now I'm X years old and here's this little child. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it sharpens your focus, at least in the work that I'm doing. I'm like, right. okay, we've got to make things better for this kid. Generations. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So mm. where can people find you and the work that you're doing? Um, so uh, if you want to go to my website, it's ourhorizon.org, www.ourhorizon.org. I'm on Twitter, at Rob Shirky. Um, those are probably two good places to find me. Okay. And that way, if people want to hear your less emotional, more mechanical storytelling, Mm -hmm. they can find you there. That's correct. Great. Well, thanks so much. 
Thank you. Rob Sharkey. Thank you, Brianne Bennis. <laughs> Thank you for knowing how to pronounce my last name. You can find us online at thereapers.org because we're in the life collecting business. You can like us at facebook.com slash stories we don't tell podcast. If you want to help us out, you can rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks to Rayana for the theme music to this podcast. You can find out more about her in the show notes or at rayana.ca. This episode brought to you by Our Horizon, a nonprofit organization that's out to change the world. So save all that. Okay. <laughs>